0: All right, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me as always is... Uh, Scotty Hertz, and uh, Adam,
1: I think I was suffering a bit from uh, full moon fever last night, but uh, (laughs) hopefully, I don't know if it's because Halloween is on the horizon or whatever, but uh, hopefully that's all it is, I believe so. Is there a vaccine for full moon fever? I'm not sure. It's
0: Uh, coming, right? What, you mean, are are you are you talking about werewolfism or just, you know, being
1: <laughs> <laughs> unsettled due to the moon? Yeah, that's something I don't even really believe in, but it was like
0: because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know what the answer to werewolfism is, but uh you're not going to um, like it. <clears throat> yeah, maybe I should go get that looked
1: at. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or is that a Zoom meeting now? I guess so. A yeah, Zoom meeting for your werewolfism? <laughs>
0: Yeah, set up a Zoom with the OPC to ask them about your werewolfism. Yeah. Halloween uh, season for the Lycan set. Uh, we're off to a good start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Open Source is the CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. Which this week will be the newly elected Green Party candidate from Kitchener Center, Mike Morris. Who will talk to us about his goals as a new member of parliament and what he thinks about uh, being thrust into the role of helping to rejuvenate the Green Party and other good stuff. Um, It's going to be a very upbeat interview. So uh, get your diabetic medicine ready. (laughs) I'm just I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's a a perfectly nice man with a very optimistic take on the current political situation. Anyway, uh, that's in the bottom. of (laughs) the (laughs) That's in the bottom half of the hour. Uh, Before that, we will talk about the stabbing death. Oh, speaking of downers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Uh. Stabbing death of Sir David Ames uh, and what it might mean for the security and access to government officials in the UK and maybe even here in Canada. But first, uh, we don't normally talk about provincial. uh, Excuse me. We don't normally talk about municipal elections. In other provinces, uh, but the situation calls for it because uh, some interesting stuff happening in Alberta in their municipal elections this past Monday. We have the first woman and the first woman of color elected to the mayor of Calgary. That is uh, Jointy uh, Gondik. And then we have uh, the first person of color elected to uh, lead the city of Edmonton, Amar- Amarjeet Sohi. And uh, there was also, it didn't make the news because it's medicine hat but medicine hat also elected its first female mayor uh lindsey clark so uh i mean overall representation amongst bipoc people and women were up uh are, are now up in calgary city council and uh yeah i mean you know just looking at the you know the the numbers and the statistics and the demographics it uh, interesting results in the Alberta areas on Monday.
1: Oh, for sure. And I saw one statement on Twitter, just in passing, I'm not sure who it was saying that, you know, I hope the rest of Canada realizes that we're not who we think that they, you know, we're not who they think that we are. You know what I mean? It was kind of like,
0: mm.
1: we're, we're kind of proving here that we're, we're an advanced place in this reputation that we have of being this. Um, and this isn't me quoting but like conservative backwater, um Isn't the case at all, because now we have these two two people are now the mayors of like most of the population of, or the majority of the population of of Alberta. And I'm happy to report, though, and I don't want to talk about too much, Kevin J Jailbird racist (laughs) moron Johnson is definitely not the next mayor of Calgary like he said he was going to be. I believe he may be in prison. I'm not sure, but that's uh, probably where he belongs. But yeah, uh, Jyoti Gondek, like super qualified person like right away that i didn't know anything about this person and they said oh well she's you know she's a phd in uh, urban sociology i was like what um <laughs> i had heard of um emerjit sohi though because he had been a liberal mp i'm like i recognize yeah. that name yeah but i mean th- there we have the immigrant story his first job when he got to canada was driving i, I understand this right one of his first jobs when he first got to canada was being a a bus driver at edmonton transit hmm so there you go talk about like not quite rise to riches but it's a, a success story in terms of uh anyway, he, he had been an mp um was that that was uh, under trudeau's first election i believe right mm-hmm. Isn't it? Mm-hmm.
0: I uh right? yeah he was elected in 2015 mm-hmm. um yeah to, to quote uh, another famous canadian he started from the bottom um that was drake if people aren't oh (laughs) i I know i know this is cfru so we're not exactly top 40 but um yeah he's you know it's interesting to think that someone who was uh once upon a time a city bus driver is now the mayor of the city that seems like things that don't happen much in politics anymore um since we're talking about Sohi, i mean it's interesting to have sort of gauged the political climate because a lot of people are reading this as especially in Calgary where it seems like um Gondik has like a pretty comfortable progressive bench in council so you know what, what other priority she's interested in pursuing she has the support um but in the case of, of Sohi uh the justice minister for Alberta uh Casey uh Mako like Posts on social media, it's like, we got to get all of our people out so that we don't have, and I'm quoting, Trudeau's agents in Edmonton City Hall. And it's just oh, like, boy. I mean, that's not a good look generally, but I mean, in a time of place when you, and we're going to get into this next, but when you have like people throwing gravel at the prime minister as sort of being this uh, Machiavelli moustache-twirling villain sitting atop Parliament Hill, that's not such a great tact to take. And of course, <laughs> because, because of that, people are kind of reading some of these races, and I'm not sure how much of it is, it is to be believed or how much of it is just sort of like punditizing, but a, a lot of people are reading it as a kind of repudiation against the UCP and some of these some of these uh, UCP political tactics that uh, will probably not go amiss Uh Is it next year or then the year after when the provincial election is? Well, whenever it is. For them? Yeah,
1: I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about the referendum in a bit, but this, in a way, was a referendum of the UCP because Mm -hmm. there were two highly touted and expected to win in some circles conservative candidates in the race was Mike Nickel in Edmonton, who I believe is card-carrying UCP, if I understand that right, Mm -hmm. and Jeremy Farkas from Calgary, who was a member of the, what was the Manning Center,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: which is that conservative uh, think tank. I think they're called something uh, Canada strong and free or who knows. Uh, it's that's sounds... a catchphrase now, right? As opposed to, but they're um, yeah. Yeah. So they belong to those organizations. They were, they were the conservative great white hopes and, uh, <laughs> I'm not even using that loosely and, uh, <laughs> they got clobbered. So, and like you were saying about the, well, we need to, we need to get our people in and get rid of the liberal operatives. Whoa. Um, Trudeau have, agents in city hall Trudeau agents. There you go. <laughs> and the liberal operatives. Yeah. Uh, Farkas is interesting because they were, I think they were both on their respective city councils and so were the mayor select. Mm-hmm. But Parkas like was the lone he was kind of like a Ford style character who just voted against everything, like the transit and <laughs> the green line, as they call it, is like, oh I'm just gonna vote. Like he just he just voted he was that guy, like Doug Ford was. Remember, it was it was the triple thread in Toronto. There was three people that just voted against everything. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so long ago now. But that's that seems like the type of person that he was on uh,
0: I mean that's a, more or less the position Michael Ford has taken up now. So yeah. <laughs> well, the name name recognition you need to sort of follow the pattern. Yeah, you need right? to. Yeah, you need to be on brand.
1: Yeah, and uh, the, moving beyond that a little bit, this isn't without scandal because it seems that there's a councillor elected that was asked to step down because of uh, contact with a minor mm-hmm. when he was a police officer came out, and I think that this is an evolving story. But it, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to get too far into it, but this just sounds like the usual ridic- ridiculous, ridiculous. Um, uh, position of power, all, all those shades of Kevin Wong, right? Yeah, it's it's with Wong, it was sort of like, well, we're not sure, but in this guy's cases, he's, he's admitted to, um, I believe it was, it was something with a sixteen-year-old. It's like. Um, yeah, dude, like he probably shouldn't have even run in the first place, but uh, I guess vetting is a little bit different with municipal in which, you know, anybody can run a la Kevin J. Johnson, among others. Uh, so that that's an evolving story. I wonder where that's, I'm not really sure where that's going to go, but well, and he I believe also- they can get rid of him, right? They can say you're done.
0: Well, I don't know what the exact mechanisms are for Calgary City Council, but I imagine there are probably some levers they can pull. And he only won by 52 votes. Yeah. So it's not like you're talking about miscarriage of democracy here, Mm -hmm. because clearly almost as many people wanted the the next person um, in line. So, yeah, it's it's an evolving story because – I mean, just the way it's phrased, it was, yeah, uh, he was good. a police officer having, quote, inappropriate physical contact with a minor, and he was found guilty of uh, discreditable conduct. What And like, that's like extreme police lingo, but it doesn't sound great. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but it was
1: consensual, according to the headlines. It's like, dude, just no. Know- And no, and why? You know, it comes out now, like he won. I don't know. Like there needs to be. I don't. Maybe that's our job, or the job of others, is to get these things out before you know. You did the elections run right
0: you didn't mention the referendum. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. curious. Is Was was that the daylight savings referendum? <laughs>
1: of course, because that's the most important one of all. <laughs> like,
0: I mean, that was like, it, it came back kind of like extremely ambiguous. Like it, there was like a majority who were like, yeah, let's get rid of it. But like most people were like, yeah, whatever it, it was much closer than I thought. But I mean, the, the reverend, the referendum everybody was watching was the one um, asking if um the uh, province of Alberta should pull out of uh, equalization payments or make a move to it a- and uh, pull out of equalization payments in Calgary and where else um, probably Edmonton maybe yes well no at the Edmonton results haven't been uh, announced yet then with Buffalo oh. there's like the two biggest areas that haven't announced they're waiting for uh, elections Alberta to let it go um Maybe I'm thinking about Calgary. Yeah, Calgary and Lethbridge voted 58 and 59 percent respectively uh, in favor of it. So, I mean, yeah, it's they voted in favor, but it wasn't like the 70, 80 percent people thought it was going to be. That wasn't, I mean, they certainly did in Grand Prairie and Red Deer, where they're um, maybe a bit more conservative leaning mm-hmm. than they are in the urban centers. But I mean, it, it's not the a slam dunk i mean theoretically kenny could take that to ottawa and say well you know six out of ten people but i mean it uh, th- this just isn't top of mind f- it, or it doesn't seem like for for the vast majority of people this is something they're deeply concerned about right now is sticking it to the rest of canada through equalization payments
1: yeah and it's, it's something that most people don't even really understand this i don't fully understand the system um But there's probably people have a better understanding of daylight savings or the fluoride in the water in Calgary, which was another (laughs) referendum, which has been a back and forth seven times, if I understand it right, Yeah, Yeah, and equalization payments. And this is something that's been around for a long time, I think since the 50s, and there really is nothing that the province can do about it. So this is Kenny. Pretty much trying to just get a shot in, at some kinds like, "Oh, it's so unfair!" Where well, you hear this all the time? Sound familiar? We're being treated so unfairly, mm-hmm. like that kind of language. We know where that kind of language comes from—not mm-hmm. just conservatism, but Trump in particular. Shades of Trump. I saw that phrase more than once about the equalization payments. Now. Alberta does pay in the whole, if people don't quite understand the system, it was like, okay, all the provinces pay in. There's the ha- It's been broken down to haves and have-nots in almost Dickensian terms, right? Mm-hmm. And as we go through time, certain provinces are haves and certain ones are have-nots. And I believe this time around, Alberta, because of COVID and other things that are going on, is is finally a have-not province. There's a, there's an energy component to it as well, which makes it seem like it's a little bit imbalanced I guess it goes back to the days of the uh, energy program and the Trudeau era where it's like, oh, we're not getting we're not getting enough money for our resources. Right. There's, there's Trudeau one. Trudeau one. That's called yeah. Trudeau one. So there's a there's the echoes of that goes through all of uh, Alberta politics. And it's a really I don't even say it's a cheap shot, but it's an easy shot for them to try and take a jab at Ottawa without really explaining something that not only needs explanation but is is a little bit of a complicated formula it it isn't just we're paying a bunch of money and and we're not getting anything out that's not it at all well more to the point we pay so much and we're getting so little and everybody's screwing alberta and the west and it's that same you know we mentioned manning i mentioned manning earlier it's like it goes back to that whole thing the west wants in like it's it's a bit specious right it's like uh (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, yeah, Well, the, I mean, the referendum itself was Specious, not necessarily because people were uh, Speciously campaigning But a lot of, there, there's polling That shows that a lot of people thought that Voting yes in the referendum meant that no more equalization payments. Alberta would be able to keep all its money. No more sending money to the federal government. When it's you know you it, it it's a constitutional thing. You actually have to go through the process and the and the rule of uh, holding a, a, a nationwide referendum with seven provinces voting in favor and fifty uh, percent plus one of the population agreeing, which. I mean, that's a big hurdle to jump in the first place, especially when, you know, five (laughs) to get to to seven, you'll probably need Quebec, Newfoundland, uh, New Brunswick, PEI, uh, Nova Scotia. That's, you know, five who are probably not going to be yes votes. So Uh, it's just, yeah, it was kind of red meat uh, for the peeps. And uh, of course they introduced it back in like 2019 when there was a lot of clacks and about like, Wegs it and all that, so it, mm-hmm. it it almost feels like a passe thing at this point. So, but we won't know final numbers until Monday when Elections Alberta releases them. So we'll have to stand by and hear more. Somebody
1: at CBC called it the uh, Prairie Festivus. <laughs> it was like the airing of the grievances as far as referendum questions were concerned, but.
0: That is surprisingly clever for the CBC. Anyway, <laughs> um, in in news, uh, a, a UK MP, Sir David Ames, was killed at what they call a constituency surgery, which is just uh, kind of like a town hall. Speaking of airing of grievances, it's kind of where yeah. an MP meets and meets with his constituents. Uh, he was stabbed to death by a British. British citizen of Somali descent. He's 25 years old. It looked like he was radicalized online uh, to a form of uh, Islamic extremism. Uh, eerily similar. Actually, I was reviewing the, the Joe Cox case, and it's actually eerily, eerily similar. <laughs> um, in 2016, when uh labor MP, Joe Cox, was stabbed by a neo-Nazi at a constituency surgery in almost exactly five years ago, five and a half years ago, June 2016. uh, There are some differences. I mean, Ames has been in office since Thatcher. uh, Joe Cox had been elected the year before. One's a conservative MP, one's a labor MP. But, you know, one was stabbed to death by a neo-Nazi, another was stabbed to death by an Islamic extremist. But, I mean, still kind of chilling these similarities that almost literally the same thing happened twice to two different people.
1: Hmm. And and surgery is a fairly long running tradition. If people don't quite understand it's the term was appropriated from surgery. Like it was meeting, meeting with people. I think it started off as nursing. I sort of vaguely remember the history behind it, but it's, it's back in the day, people were going to people's houses and disturbing them saying, I want to talk to you about this. So some of them, I think it was labor (laughs) and, uh, liberal would have been back in the day said no well okay let's on this appointed day we will go have this and it's always been very open and public and anyone can go the airing of the grievances in in an old-fashioned sense and it's a long-running tradition but i mean this isn't this isn't the first you you spoke of joe cox and amos as well it isn't really there in the past there have been other incidents including in 2010 uh, where there was a, a stabbing with the member I think it was labor and survived but then in 2000 there was a lib- liberal democrat uh, the aide of the liberal democrat was killed while trying to protect or trying to you know fend this person off mm-hmm. so it's not a it's not a new thing and I think there was there's been a couple involving the IRA uh, specific to Northern Ireland which is still part of the UK um, which definitely falls under the terror realm. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's one of these things like, you know, do they maintain the tradition or do they have to, because of the times um, back off a bit, or at least have security would be the minimum. Cause I think the the beauty of this and all parties do it is the, I believe all parties do it anyway, is is the openness of it that anybody can come and talk. But of course, as we're seeing, it's like, well, you are taking a chance adding to that. The, there was um it's I think Rupa Huck, Labour MP, Labour in UK, uh, s- spoke out as well, being not only a woman, but a Muslim getting threats daily all the time. There was a series of packages that went out in 2018 that involved a letter, it was not a chain letter, but it was sent to a bunch of MPs. Um, Muslim in particular, something to do with punish a Muslim. And there was like package that supposedly Quasi hazardous material, this kind of thing, right? This is going to the office and somebody working in the office opened it, had to go to the hospital. Um, so it's a, it's a mess. Like I, I don't think they've been able to decide, well, what Joe Cox happened and that wasn't initially it, he was convicted as a terrorist, but initially it, he wasn't right. So it was like, he was convicted under terror laws. This one is like, Oh, it's, it's a Muslim, we believe it's a Muslim person, so it's Islamic terrorism, and then right away it's Terror Act. It took a little bit more time to unwind that with Joe Cox. It almost seems like mm. they need a law specific to MPs, you no, know, not beyond the Terror Act and beyond, however else they could um, judge this, or at least a better uh, way of doing the surgery, knowing the risks. Like I think they probably take a you know the usual scoopful from people that politicians do. But that line is 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 being blurred with social media and all the other things that are happening, including the murders that we've seen. Um, so it's they pro- they they need to rethink it immediately. They should have uh, when things happened with Joe Cox. I think there was talk of that, but they you know it's it obviously can't continue the way it is.
0: Well, I think there's an important. I think the the question is, is so much bigger than security because one of the things that happened as a result of this is the, the independent parliamentary standards authority, which I mean, sounds fascistic, but it's actually one of the most open and transparent part of the, the UK government, you know, they publish, you know, um, all the spending records and, you know, things like uh, how much so-and-so spent on travel and uh, how much they spent to book venues for their, for their constituent surgeries. And, um they're basically putting a pause on that. It's like, well, we're obviously not going to publish this information because if a bad guy knows um how you're traveling, when you're traveling, where you're traveling to, they can you know that that allows them to put the plans of malicious ideas together and it, and I mean mm. I'm not I'm not divorced from the reality that there are bad people who you know want to hurt our politicians and we've certainly seen that in Canada Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's you know people throwing gravel at Trudeau or you know people um, I mean essentially stalking Catherine McKenna when she was the (laughs) environment minister like surprising her outside a movie theater when she's with her kids it's just you know the danger is there Uh, but I mean also we have a responsibility not just to to know how much our politicians are spending on travel and and booking things, but also a responsibility to have access to them. Um, I mean, this, this David Amis guy or Ames, I should say, Mm. um, I mean, he's kind of a long L- Lloyd Longfield type where he's like, he's a backbencher. He's been a backbencher for years. He's got his finger in a lot of pies, which is what he apparently likes to do. He apparently had no real ambition. He never rose beyond the position of like a parliamentary secretary. And, you know, he was just, Going about his life, being a you know an elected representative, and uh, that seemed to be what he enjoyed doing. He did it for decades. Um, he seemed to have no real political ambitions for himself. This is this was a public service for him. Yep. Uh Which is probably also why he was targeted because he was kind of like a soft, quote unquote, soft target. You know, once you get into the cabinet, you have a driver and things. But I I just I, I struggle with this idea that. And again, I, I don't mean to minimize the human factor, but I mean, we, we do need to have access to our information about our politicians and the politicians themselves. And what, what unfortunately situations do is immediately make everyone go to 11 in terms of, of of reaction. And I just hope some cooler heads prevail because, I mean, say what you want about the British system. It's like, it's a lot more... Um, rock and roll, <laughs> and yeah. than than uh, we do over here, and I mean we are a lot more rock and roll than what they do in the states. They, they tend to treat their politicians, um, preciously. But yeah, it, it just how much, how much of how much do you compromise a system of accountability in order to make sure that the people, um, in the government have security? That's a very big question that I'm not sure we can answer today and I'm not sure we want to answer in the immediate aftermath of something like this.
1: No, and they'll have to wrestle with that to figure out how to kind of maintain that openness and discussion without making it seem like they're partitioned off, like
0: mm-hmm.
1: as visual visualizing, like a confessional booth or something or, or the plexi wall or which, you know, yeah. it kind of defeats the purpose. You would still go and speak to them. But anyway, that's, that's, for them to figure out, I suppose. But yeah, getting back to the the Canadian example, and you mentioned Trudeau getting the stones. And I was thinking about when it, when that happened, going back to Trudeau senior again, it was, it was the Jean Baptiste parade, right. Where they, 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 it was around the time of the FLQ crisis and there, or when that was ramping up and they were just, Trudeau was in the stands and they were throwing all kinds of stuff at him, And he wouldn't, he wasn't budging. I mean, obviously not the kind of thing that would happen now. He would have been spirited away right away at the first bottle being thrown, but he toughed it out different times, right? But something else that's changed. I mean, there's there's always been hostility to politicians. That's a given, but I think part of it now is with social media and other things, there's this emboldening of of people that they feel they can go beyond just sort of uh insulting and sending nasty things to people they they I was thinking about that when um Jagmeet Singh was chased down by that guy in Ottawa going across the bridge as he was walking away and it was filmed it's like who knows what could happen in that situation right
0: I mean and that's a very sort of specific example and I mean there's a lot of people out there who um (laughs) fully believe they are you know, superheroes out to make citizens arrests and things. and Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's just we're not quite there yet. We also don't have like a wide tradition of like as you were getting at like back in the IRA, like there was an MP killed by the IRA in a car bomb in 1990. So it's like Mm -hmm. it's not immediately fresh in your mind, but it is something that's happened in like our lifetimes. Yeah. So we don't have that that experience yet. But I mean it is something, you know, we do have to keep an eye on. I can't believe I can believe, but I also can't believe that, you know, people threw sort of rocks at the Prime Minister of Canada, but they did. And, you know, what's it gonna be like after another two years or another four years? Um I don't know. It's just the, the issue is just so much bigger than building like building a security wall around a oh, yeah Because you know? he
1: really he shouldn't be throwing rocks at at anybody, right? And it, it did seem like an. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean. Like, it did seem like an impulsive thing. I'm not making any excuses for it at all.
0: Controversial that,
1: position, now. Yeah, no. Well, that, but that's not how we <laughs> deal with these things, right? Now, I mean, Canada isn't immune to political assassinations, but they happened like in the 1800s, right? Mm-hmm. So, and one of them was in the assassination of. Well, I'm saying assassination, but George Brown was more of a labor dispute, even though he was a father of Confederation, rather than um it wasn't for anything directly political but darcy mcgee was so and then in between that we had the flq crisis and that but generally with candidates not to the level it's not let's say an american level Mm -hmm. where assassination was just a regularly occurring thing yeah up until not
0: that long ago right yeah so well uh we'll have to leave that there because uh Mike Morris is going to bring some optimism. We're going to take a quick musical break and come right back. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio.
2: So peculiar, you green from gray I hear their footsteps in the way they laugh
1: The sounds of forward was our Royal Cat Records Pick of the Week. Royal Cat Records, 21 Macdonnell in the downtown, the little big record shop. That was uh, number 22 from the CFRU chart this week. An artist called Great Aunt Ida. And the song is called uh, <laughs> Unsayable. No, sorry. Album is Unsayable. And the tune is called The Promised Land. So, and that's, I believe that's a completely independent release. So... There's a little plug there for support independent music and support your purveyors of independent music in your downtowns.
0: I have nothing to add to that. Uh, I don't know what I was pausing to consider, but there you are support local music. That's uh, that's oh, rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll attach myself to that. And you can't miss uh World cat records. It's uh, a baby blue building right in the middle of a bunch of brick buildings. So it's where it all happens. <laughs> That's all I have to add to that. Uh, we invited Mike Morris on the show. If you know the name, you probably know that he is the first Green member of Parliament. But he's not uh, well; he has elected, but he hasn't been sworn in yet as a member of Parliament. He's a member of Parliament elect or designate, however you like. Uh, he's waiting to get sworn in. He's been doing his orientation and he's been talking to people in the media like us. And uh, we got a chance to uh, chat with Mike, the other Green Mike, as we were saying during the <laughs> break over the uh, <laughs> over the Zoom uh, the other day. And so uh, here's Mike, the other Green Mike. Anyway, let's uh, play that tape. <laughs> so, Mike Morris, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for ha- having me, Adam. It's a real pleasure to be to be here. Uh, people are always you know, whether in the media or in politics, are kind of looking for the magic key to uh, somebody's success. Um, looking at, you know, your case, breaking through as a, a Green Party candidate in Southwestern Ontario, uh, to what do you credit your success this election to make history as a, as a now newly minted Green MP designate? You're not quite a Green MP yet, but it, it, you you did win the election. So that's step one. <laughs>
2: Well, first of all, thank you for that. It's uh, a lot of folks have been saying, you know, newly elected MP. When in fact, I'm still MP elect at this stage. So I appreciate uh, your awareness on that. And um, you know, if I'm honest with you, Adam, there is no secret sauce. Uh, to me, what was important was just putting in the work. And when I say that, what I actually mean is hundreds and hundreds of people that created space in their lives. Over three years, as you and your listeners may well know, I ran in 2019, and at that time, you know, jumped from three percent to 26, from fourth to second. We got to every door in the riding back in 2019, some of them twice, um, and you know that was an eight-month effort of of walking every street in the city, of uh, making thousands of calls, and when we did, you know, if someone was home the conversation was focused on the question, you know, what's most important to you as opposed to, you know, a political question, like, can we count on your support? Mm. And so I think that mix of the number of people who put the time in, and it's a pretty, like, there's something special about how humbling it is, right? You know, in the month of August, sweat beating down our necks as we're going from door to door or in those you know pouring rain and you know folks are still willing to join us going from door to door. And so it's a pretty humbling experience. Uh, but I think that mix of the number of people that created space to do the work and focusing on democracy first and foremost, politics second, which is a big reason why I chose to run with the greens. Mm. uh, that I had that agency to actually listen and that, you know, within the values of the party, that what I, what I'm now advocating for is what I heard most often. It is that common ground that I heard across my community. And, uh, And so I think that, that was a really critical part of the progress that we, that we made.
0: I wonder too, um, like you said, you ran in 2019, uh, in party politics we sort of see these trends where somebody runs they don't win they're kind of dumped by their party or they get disenfranchised and decide not to run again it i mean does that kind of community building over several years several elections uh play a factor
2: uh, absolutely there's a few sides it. one is you know just um having been a part of this community for some time i you know came here for university years back and Started sustainable water in the region coming out of university. Um, and so I think having had that time to, um, to be a part of this community uh, and, and, and be a part of actually seeing some change when it came to, you know, both you know, businesses taking action on climate. Um, and then also, particularly for someone who's run with the Greens, you can imagine the number one rebuttal we got in 2019 was you know, I like the policy or I appreciate that you're here. I've heard good things, but, you know, I don't think you can actually win. Right. And so there's this whole focus on not voting for what we want, but in first past the vote, past the post voting based out of the fear of what we don't want. Um, And so I do think it's important. And, and, you know, in Guelph is another example where when Mike got elected in 2018, while came in second in 2014. Uh, And so we had a very similar experience where this time around, Um, so many people said, I know you can win. Tell me about the impact you can have as a green MP. And so we heard that shift in the tone and in the conversation having run uh, before in 2019. And also just, again, putting in that time, we hosted dozens of backyard conversations. We got to each door. And so more people would say, you know, you were at my door last time. You're here again. Haven't seen anybody else. Mm. Or, you know, attended a backyard chat or a friend of mine knows you from you know serving at this church at a particular meals or on the board of this organization. So I do feel that that is that's important for our democracy, that we should be, you know I said so many times how can you be a voice for someone if you don't first listen to the things they care about? Mm-hmm. And so I actually think uh, you know having been elected this time and not last, I think I'll be a better MP this time than even if I was elected last I had that much more time to continue listening and hosting roundtable conversations with folks across the arts and culture community, uh, with folks involved in mental health on the front lines, uh, to be putting in that volunteer time, you know, even just spending some time stuffing harm reduction kits uh, with a local clinic. And many of the other folks who are volunteering are peers who've gone mm. through um, the experience of being addicted and and can share from that experience. And I said I think when I look back on it, Adam, all of that, all of those experiences, I think has me better ready and better prepared to be a strong voice for our community.
0: Well, you opened the door to this in in what you just said. Um, I'm used to having conversations with green candidates uh, running federally, anyway. As uh, you know you're going to, you're running for office. If you do get elected, you will be one of the few green MPs. Well, you are one of the few green MPs. So what difference do you think uh, you can make? Like, what are you anticipating when the house of commons actually reopens?
2: Yeah. So, and in fact, it's easiest speaking with you about it, Adam in Guelph, because you've got the experience there. You've been represented uh, by a, a green for a number of years already. And it was such an honor having Mike with us in Kitchener, the number of times he was uh, he was here. Uh, but so I, I point to folks like, like Mike and, and like Elizabeth in BC and Peter Bevan Baker out in PEI. You know, first and foremost, the reason I chose to run, run with the Greens is that yes, Green values are my values and that's social justice and participatory democracy and ecological wisdom. And also, Greens encourage their um, their elected representatives to put their communities first and parties second which means I feel like I've got the best chance of holding on to my integrity as a Green MP, that I can actually listen to my neighbours, that I can put democracy first. And so I think, you know, first, the impact of a Green MP is that, is that focus on democracy first and foremost. It's also the approach. Uh, when, I, when I spoke with Mike, you know, and in, you know, at second reading, he had unanimous support for the Paris Call Moraine Act you know, recognizing the water protection is such a high priority for folks in Guelph. Um, You know, he prioritized that which he heard first, but he got unanimous support. And when he and I spoke more about why that was the case, he would share about how he's approaching his colleagues from a place of curiosity. He's asking questions, he's being respectful, as opposed to simply looking to score a political point or to shame. And of course, there's a difference between you can be assertive without being disrespectful, right? Mm. And so Mm -hmm. I think the other value in terms of serving as a Green is this interest in working across party lines to get things done, whether whether it's on housing or on the opioid epidemic or on electoral reform or climate, uh, that that's so important that we have that more respectful conversation. And then the last point I'll make, uh, that again, I think Mike has proven well, is that folks who elect Greens often have outsized voices Because the media will go to that person more often. Mm -hmm. The day after the election, I think it was 15 interviews from 6 a.m. onwards to say, what happened in Kitchener Center? They elected a green MP for the first time. And so in each of these opportunities, whether it's, you know, with yourself this afternoon on a podcast with the media, to me, these are each opportunities to be sharing the stories of my neighbors and to be talking about their priorities and their concerns and the policies that can improve their lives. And I hope to have an outsized voice, that someone in Kitchener Center is that much more represented um, by myself as a Green MP. And again, we've got a track record of that uh, with other Greens who've been elected across the country.
0: You uh, are in a unique situation. You're kind of surrounded by people from other parties. There's uh, liberal representatives in the rest of Waterloo region, um, but you're also surrounded by a number of conservative uh, represented ridings. Have any of your colleagues or your future colleagues reached out to you yet? Or have you reached out to them?
2: Oh, my gosh, of course. Yeah, we had a number of conversations the day after. I'll even share. We've got some great people in this community. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm healthy now. Uh, but in, towards the end of the 2019 campaign, I was diagnosed with stage one testicular c- uh, uh, cancer. hmm and had a surgery in in the the weeks that followed the last election and shared about it publicly in the spring of last year. One of the very first people, Adam, that called me was one of the MPs that were Mm -hmm. re-elected. And so I think when we look at other parliamentarians as people first, as opposed to, oh, you are a liberal or a conservative, I think that changes the conversation. Even you know when I did orientation with uh, nine other of the kind of rookie MPs a few weeks ago, I love that they had us introduce names and constituencies and not parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am really looking forward to working with the four other um, elected MPs across Waterloo Region, um, with the MP for Guelph who is reelected re-elected again as well. That we there's so many ties between Waterloo Region and, and Guelph. Um, and really, the 337 other parliamentarians. So I'm not naive. I recognize I'm going as part of a caucus of two. And also, I am really looking forward to um, this is not just a line for me. I'm, I, I'm looking forward to understanding better, uh, getting to know um, the other 337 parliamentarians. Uh, what are the priorities they heard most often? And where is there some common ground? We've heard a lot from this government on affordability of housing, a lot of good words on climate, well, might this be a time to end the subsidies to fossil fuels? And could we not find some common ground on that? I think it starts by not calling each other names and, um, you know, by having good relationships. And so I've got a lot of respect for the four other MPs across Waterloo Region. And I'm looking forward to working with them uh, to make progress on the challenges that we know folks in our community face.
0: I do wonder if maybe the liberal caucus will lead on lean on Lloyd because uh, Lloyd speaks uh, liberal to green really well.
2: <laughs> well, and again, just another risk. Like I've, I, I, I've met Lloyd over, over the years and all that I know of, of him, both as, um, as a community leader and as a parliamentarian is, you know, another example of someone who's, who's looking to make progress for folks across across Guelph and I know has worked quite closely with Mike pr- provincially as well over the years and so like there's no shortage of examples and kind of fertile ground to build from when we talk about working in this more collaborative way and it's also what Canadians are expecting I can at least say of folks in Kitchener it's what my neighbours are expecting of me and of other parliamentarians is to turn down the partisanship that only mm. gets in the way it, it only it's, it's corrosive, right? Um, and, it, and it doesn't serve, um, it doesn't serve people. It seems to only serve the parties. And uh, I don't think we got time for that.
0: And you're doing well, uh, health-wise speaking?
2: Yeah, thanks for asking. I wouldn't have uh, ran otherwise. I joked with a few neighbors. This was, you know, I did this all last time around, but this time I'm doing it cancer-free. <laughs> so I got that much more of a jump in my step. You know, some of these things you don't plan for and Um, You know, joking aside, uh, you know, there's each of us, you know, many folks have had experiences either personal or with members of their family who've gone through cancer. It's one in every two um, uh, people now who have uh, or have or will go through a cancer journey of some kind. And so I'm so lucky, you know, we caught it early. I had fantastic care. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I'm actually Looking forward, tonight is the first time I'll be playing ice hockey again since it's been over a year. You can imagine in the campaign, there wasn't much room for that. Um, And uh, so, yeah, really, you know, quite fortunate to be back in good health, uh, to be cycling again. Um, And, and, you know, again, knocking on doors, it's a bit of a marathon, right? We started at 10 a.m. and went to 9 p.m. And uh, to have the energy for that again, is uh, such a such a blessing.
0: I do want to talk a bit about party politics because um, your party, the green party is in kind of a rebuilding phase right now. A lot of people are going to be looking to you um, as a, a sitting green MP. Um, do you feel like you want to have kind of a role in, I, I guess, whatever work that the green party has to do to rebrand and relaunch and um, you know, try and turn the political tables to, to be more positive again, or are you like more focused on just like the constituents constituency work and you don't want to be like the best possible green MP, regardless of what's going on in the party?
2: Yeah. Well, so Adam, I do recognize the position of influence I have in the party. I recognize my privilege as well. Um, and so I recognize that, um, yeah, I have a role to play in conversations across the party in this rebuilding uh, stage, as you've called it, and I will be engaging, and I have been. Um, you know, we can talk about some of the the you know, conversations from the past number of months. Uh, it's partly why I, I jumped in back in April to call out the need to better center anti-racism in the governance of the party. Again, because I just I recognize um, my. Uh, positionality in the party I guess and my job first and foremost is to be a voice for my community and I feel that that as a green I've got the best chance to do that job with integrity and to focus on the prairies of my neighbors and that you know opinions can actually change based on uh, based on what I've heard um, that I will be prioritizing first and foremost uh, the unaffordability of housing, you know, mental health, long-term care, climate, because these are the things I heard most often. And I also recognize I'm a rookie MP, so I've got a lot to learn to do this job well. And so my commitment, first and foremost, is to my neighbors across Kitchener Centre, to being a good MP in Kitchener Centre. And I, again, I look at other elected Greens like Elizabeth, and you know, like Mike and like Peter, who. You know, have done such a good job being a strong advocate for their communities, first and foremost. And, you know, recognize I've got a role to play as it relates to um, ensuring that, you know, green uh, voices are heard, that members are heard across the country. And so I will be, you know, engaging in some of that, um, recognizing that as Greens, there's a lot to bring to the table uh, as it relates to. You know, serving our communities well, to putting democracy first. Uh, this is, I think, where Greens are really needed at this time of high partisanship. And this is true of global Greens. You look at Greens around the world, right? And some of the progress being made in other jurisdictions. Uh, and often it's Greens that are at that table. Um, uh, but again, first and foremost is being a good voice for my neighbors here in Kitchener.
0: It almost sounds like you're saying you, you can't separate the two Being a good community leader is being a good Green Party member.
2: Yeah, well said. That's a great way to summarize it.
0: Okay. I do want to get to environmental issues. Uh, I have one eye on the time, but uh, COP26 is in a couple of weeks. Uh, Our government will be participating, as well as governments around the world. Uh, I guess if you were to uh, have a phone call with the Prime Minister about what you think the priority should be and what he should try and get out of COP26. Uh, What what are your thoughts? Well, when you boil it all down,
2: (laughs) it it really is kind of simple in a way. We must follow the science on the climate crisis. And if you're an optimist, you can recognize the reality that we've got a window here to take action to cut emissions by 60% by 2030. If you're a pessimist, you need to also recognize that or even just a realist, <laughs> you know, our emissions continue to rise. And that doesn't even include um, the, uh, the amount of um, oil that is currently projected. If we're to build the pipeline in- infrastructure that's currently being planned, we'd use up 16% of the world carbon budget when we're only, you know, 0.5% of the world's population. Um, So both domestic and international, we've got an important voice at the table when it comes to following the science. And again, we don't need to be ideological about it, don't need to be partisan about it. I just don't care about whether one plan is better than some other previous government's plan. That's not the yardstick. The yardstick has always been and continues to be uh, to follow the science and listen to what scientists and Indigenous leaders and young people have been calling out for. And that's what I intend on doing uh, I'll soon be announcing and depending when this airs um, I'm happy to share uh, I, I will be part of the Canadian dele- delegation at COP I'm um, mm-hmm. really looking forward that will be my, actually my first time it's some irony to it I started Sustainable Waterloo Region because I was frustrated that the people going to COP every year weren't doing their jobs um, and, and felt like I, I didn't have access to that level of conversation so we did the work in our community here and so now I feel a great sense of responsibility um, to be going and, you know, recognizing, you know, there's a lot of players at the table. Um, I'm hoping to at least, you know, connect with other Greens from around the world, connect with the Canadian delegation and the negotiators um, and, and with, you know, folks that are showing up from the government, uh, uh, other, other elected officials that are also going and, uh, you know, having conversations with them. Um, not sure if the prime minister and I might be in the same conversation, uh, but uh, with, with those that I might have access to, that's that's the pretty simple message is what's it going to take for us to follow the science and, um, and 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 how can we get there sooner?
0: Well, speaking of like overcoming partisanship, I mean, you're going into a parliament with a, a conservative party that ran on fighting climate change, although not perhaps not as. Stringently as some of the other party platforms, but it, it was not a, uh, a climate change denial platform. All the major parties ran on some kind of climate agenda.
2: Yeah, and that's I guess that's the important distinction is we have various folks who ran on climate agendas. What's important now is you can't just show up to the parade. You need <laughs> to actually show up with plans to follow the science. Um, and so those are the conversations I want to have respectfully is I, th- I think you're right. You know, the conversation shifted, you know, back to, you might remember back in 2008 uh, mm. when, when the first talk of a carbon tax um, did not go very well. Um, so thanks to, you know, a whole ton of work in civil society, number of grassroots efforts, so many young people and indigenous leaders, we've made a lot of progress. The trick is, we're running out of time and progress is not sufficient if it isn't progress that follows the science. Uh, we, we tripled the subsidies to fossil fuels last, last year. Um, you know, those are billions and billions of dollars that could be used to retrofit homes, to invest in the kind of transportation infrastructure that we need. And I don't, I'll work with anybody and I'm really looking forward. There are, I, I have to imagine there are members of the conservative caucus who are, um, who've are who been hearing from their communities about the need to follow the science on climate. And, you know, call it naive, my interest is in working with any parliamentarian, trying to build coal- coalitions, um, because that's, to me, the job. Um, this is existential. Uh, like, what's the point of anything else if we don't have a safe climate future?
0: Mm-hmm. I like to get politicians to kind of put a stake in the ground. So maybe in our last minute here, I, I always like to look ahead and look ahead to looking back. And at the end of your term, what do you hope, um, you, when you go back to your constituents, perhaps to be reelected? I mean, what do you hope that your first term as a, a sitting member of parliament says about you and your accomplishments and your politics? What I mean, what do, what do you want the, your political future to look like?
2: Yeah, we talk a lot about this because I think you need to vision the future if you're going to kind of follow through on that path. And even spoke about it with people at their doors when they say, okay, Sarah elected you. What, what would you really get done, right? What can you promise? What can you commit to? And so here's my sense is that first of all, what I can promise is about my behavior first and foremost. And so whenever it ends up being that we're at the next election, I want to be able to look back and say, I was always listening even if we didn't agree, and maybe even more importantly, when we don't agree, that I was also respectful. I think that, you know, in our discourse, it's so important that uh, we have more respectful conversations. And that I want to be working hard. That was part of the interest in, in putting in the work leading up to this point is to say that's, that's what you can expect of me as your MP as well. So I want to look back and say yes, was always focused on listening to others. That's the foundation of our democracy is listening and being a voice for folks, doing it respectfully and working hard and applying that to the lens of the priorities as opposed to the partisanship. And so I'm not concerned if my name happens to be on the bill or not. There are many kind of tools available to, to get progress. What I want to be able to look back on is to then go to the top five when it comes to housing affordability, when it comes to mental health, uh, when it comes to the opioid epidemic, electoral reform, climate, then to point back to here is where we're able to move the yardstick or at least explain what got in the way. Um, I said many times to many friends across this this community, I can't promise you to solve the climate crisis, but I am committing that as your MP, these are the priorities I'll work on because they're what I heard about most often and this is how I'll go about doing it. And that's what I'll be re- uh, reporting back on on a pretty, pretty regular basis and certainly whenever the next election rolls around.
0: Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, but Mike Morris, it was great talking to you today and uh, good luck uh, good luck in Ottawa. We'll, uh, I think we'll all be watching. Thanks so much,
2: Adam. Hopefully we have a chance to do this again and we can kind of check back in on all, all of this. So thanks again for the invitation to be
0: part, part of the show. All righty, then that was once again, Mike Morris of the Green Party, soon to be the Kitchener Center member of Parliament uh, when Parliament resumes. I think on November the 22nd is when the fall session will officially open because, you know, it's urgent. I'm hoping we can get a, a review of
1: his experience uh, in a few months. And then he's
0: Oh, yeah. No, he's been there for a bit. Nope, he, as, as he said, he is uh, always uh, willing to come back on the show, and uh, that's how we like to leave things. We mo- we, we want our guests to want to come back for more and we hope you come back for more uh, next week. Cause that is the end of our show for this week. You could stay connected to us at our website at opensourcesguelph.com. You can find us on Facebook at open sources newswire. And we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. You can listen to this show again by downloading it from our website. Every Monday, you can get it on the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. I personally am on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Scotty Hertz. I'm also on Facebook, Scotty Hertz. And for all things CFRU schedules, when we're on, when all the great stuff is on, check out CFRU.ca. In addition
0: to listening to us right here at 93.3 FM. Indeed. And you can also listen to DJ Sounds Good to Me. She will be here at the top of the hour. On CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will return next Thursday at 5 p.m. as per usual for open sources. And we will see you then.